Hello and welcome to our Franchise Radio Show. The expert we've got with us today is Brett Jones. Brett is an enterprising and interesting individual. He's got an amazing background, which I'll share with you in a, in a moment. And this particular segment uh, today is called Razor Marketing, How to Sharpen Your Marketing So It's Effective. And uh, to give you an introduction, Brett's, Brett Jones is uh, someone who's got a passion and um, endeavors to sort of push the world forward. And he's one of his concepts, I suppose, or principles is starting with one person at a time. So it's getting the ball rolling on an individual basis. He's got quite a history as an entrepreneur. At 23, he was a director in Melbourne of Colliers International. He'd moved there from Perth, and not long after that, he started his own company with with uh, with partners and grew it rapidly to $400 million value in three years. So this man knows how to move things. Um, he was caught up in the economic downturn and unfortunately suffered, as many did, going bankrupt. Uh, Use that and all the traumas that experience in the process to uh, really give himself the fuel for selling out on a different journey and uh, he, he really spent a journey of discovery finding out what makes humans do what they do. Um, he rebuilt his wealth, um, spent three years sailing around the world with his uh, new wife then Marie. Um, interestingly neither were sailors so uh, he comes from Perth and lives in Perth currently. I spent a bit of time on the Swan River and sailing off a of Frio so Going off around the world is a very ambitious trip, so I'll take my hat off to it. Um, uh, in 2000, um, Brett established Create, uh, known as the Entrepreneur Tribe, and this was his sort of dream. Um, he used it as a means of contributing to the world, as he saw it, by inspiring others to change their lives. So in addition to Create, he's built a number of very successful hair salons, and his motto, which I extracted from his uh, biography, is, it's not what we're capable of that matters. It's what we become that's the real purpose of life. Brett, welcome. Brian, thanks very much. Really pleased to be here and uh, looking forward to the chat with you. Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll get the ball rolling because I'm going to pick your brains about razor marketing. I love the, I love the expression. It's certainly, uh, certainly got an edge to it. So what, what, what does it take to have an extraordinary business? Although actually I'm running ahead of myself because is there anything you'd like to add to your sort of background, your, your history in life or in business? Um, to add to my little bio. Well, mate, look, um, thanks for running through that. I, I think, you know, what I've learned over the last, uh, I'm now 56 years of age, so, you know, I think what I bring to, to a business and what I bring to an individual is probably two main things. One is that, you know, you mentioned before I'm very big about, you know, working on the individual because particularly when you look at a business, the business is a direct reflection of the person that runs it. And the culture of the business is directly coming from them, whether they're consciously aware of that or not. So a lot of the time when we're working with a business, we want to work with the leader first and make sure that the leader um, is in alignment with how the business should be running. And I think like anything in life, what I've learned over the past, um, you know, 38 years in business is that we have to have a business that runs uh, at best practice. So what we've been able to do is, is break a business down into four main areas because as you chunk down into something, it gives everybody a greater understanding of how it actually operates and what best practice really is. So um, to add to my bio, yeah, I lost a lot of money in my, in my 30s, but I've been able to rebuild that both um, in property development that I've done and also operating um, businesses so I don't come from a theoretical background. You know, I'm out there 
um, on the battlefield with everybody else, um, you know, dealing with staff, dealing with team, dealing with customers. So I, I know what it's like um, actually operating a business and how difficult uh, that can be at times. Right. Yeah, fair enough. Well, thank you for that. And as to the interest, and we're obviously going to share on some great wisdom here. So what does it take to have an extraordinary business, Brett? Well, mate, um, we've been working with a, a lot of different businesses over the years, right from you know small enterprises that are less than a million dollars in turnover to businesses that are um, you know two hundred million dollars plus in turnover. And depending on the type of business, we, we bring different things to it. So we've worked um, with companies like Crown Casino. Uh, we've worked a lot with them on team and how to get team on board and, and get them aligned with the purpose of the business. And equally, we work with companies like McDonald's. Um, and you might think, well, you know, there's a company that's been around for a long time. You know, what can we possibly bring to that business? But I'll, I'll cover that shortly. So, you know, we've had a great depth of experience in, in all types of businesses. And we've got a couple of formats that we use that we run through, right from how the leader should grow uh, as part of that business and also how the business itself should grow in various stages. Because like in life, um, everything grows and everything goes through different stages. And if you're going to have an extraordinary business, there are certain things you need to do in a certain way in a certain time sequence. If you try and expand too quickly, you're going to have a problem. If you don't have uh, your systems in place at the right time, you're going to have a problem. So to try and, <laughs> in a short space of time, right, answer your question, it, it's like, you need to break the business down into four areas. So the first is marketing. The second is your team. The third is how you actually operate the business, how you deliver whatever it is that you actually are delivering to a customer. And the last is what we call finances or the numbers side of it. How do you measure what you're doing? So, Brian, like yourself, I know you've worked with a lot of businesses too, and, and I'm sure you find a lot of SMEs particularly are really bad in a number of areas um, consistently. You know, most SMEs um, tend to spend a lot of time on their systems. They tend to spend a lot of time um, dealing with staff problems. But they don't put anywhere near enough time, effort and money into their marketing. So the business tends to grow stop-start. The business goes well initially because they're the technician in the business and what they do, they do really well and it starts to grow and it's going really well. But now they start taking on staff and suddenly their attention is diverted away from what they really do well into an area where they actually don't have a lot of expertise. And that might be handling team and how you really get team you know, going and how you get them aligned with what the purpose of the business is. And now they start to have to learn those skills. So now they're even further diverted away from what they're really good at. And it's during those early stages, Brian, that um, the leader, the owner of the business, needs to come back to marketing and really get that marketing going. So hence the, the title of this talk, you know, Razor Marketing. How, how do you get your marketing really going well? Good question, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. It's the, it's, it's the Richard Branson question, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. And here's a great example of someone who was able to master his marketing. You know, we can look at guys like Richard. We can look at guys like um, Apple and Steve Jobs and, and understanding a customer. So 
Jobs is a great example. So here's a company that started out in one particular niche. Here's a computer company that was really built around um, geeks. And it became dominant in that area. When it was first developed, geeks loved Apple. It was a different um, computer uh, language. Um, a lot of people went to it simply to be different and not use Windows. And it had this really great little niche, and it, and it grew in that niche. But it only had like less than 5% of the total marketplace, whereas Apple tended to dominate. And then somewhere along the track, um, you know, Jobs had his own personal journey. And eventually when he came back to the company out of, uh, out of being booted out of the company, he came back. And he had a different perspective on it. So we started to market to everybody. He built a niche in one area, and then he started to run those ads, which basically said, we're the different ones. Mm -hmm. We're different to other people, and that's where he used images like Martin Luther King, um, Einstein, Muhammad Ali. But everybody feels they're different. So really, in that message, he was, he was appealing to everybody. And when they bought out the iPod, he actually bought out a device that could appeal to everybody. So the lesson to be learned out of Apple, the lesson to be learned out of Branson, is they both started in a niche. If you want to take Branson, he started with university students, hmm. marketing to them those original albums and music that they would post out um, through the university newsletter they had going. So they started in a very um, eclectic niche. And any great company, when you study them, even say Starbucks with coffee, they started in a niche. They, they started marketing to these coffee lovers that would only brew their coffee in a particular way. They only used this Brazilian coffee, you know, imported and carried down on donkey backs, you know, from the, the highlands in South America and, you know, they were hand-picked and uh, mouth-washed and God knows what else was done to that. <laughs> and, you know, that was appealing to one little tiny niche. But as they did, it became very cool for people to be associated with that niche. So the three people I've used as examples all started that way. And there's a lesson to be learned for any business from that, that if we can appeal to a particular niche and really get that niche on board and really know how to speak to that niche, suddenly we become in, we become cool. And there's many examples of that. So when we want to apply razor marketing principles, that's how we start. And once we've got that niche going, then we need to work out a product offering that is going to start to appeal to a wider audience. And Branson did that by bringing on uh, bands like the Rolling Stones, um, bringing on other bands that had that wider appeal. And, you know, he, he managed to do that really, really well. I mean, initially, one of his biggest successes was the Sex Pistols, Brian, if you remember mm, those guys. That's right, gee, yeah. And, and you and I are probably of the same vintage, so we actually do remember them. Mm. And, um, they were a very punk niche band, but they also started to have broader appeal, which gave Virgin as a label a broader appeal. Yeah. And yeah. then it expanded out of that. Yeah, he loves a bit of he loves a bit of controversy, a bit of a bit of excitement. Uh, jump, whether it's jumping off of cliffs or whatever it might be, that's uh, that's his uh, that's that's his brand, isn't it? That's his sort of raison d'etre almost. That's that's what you expect of Branson. Exactly, and when you think about Apple, you know they would do that in in a similar sort of way. Same with Starbucks. Um, you know, there was a lot of controversy around Starbucks when they first started out. So each of these people that we're talking about attracted PR in a particular way. 
Now, for some of your clients that might be listening, thinking, well, you know, that's not really me. I, I don't like controversy. Well, maybe you don't, but there are other ways to reach out into the news media. They're always looking for a story. They're always looking for a different angle on something. So there are ways to reach out um, to the news media in that way. But even if you just want to reach out to your existing client base, how can you do something a little different? Mm. How can you position yourself? Because a large part of marketing is around how you're positioned in the marketplace. Are you a business that has a... Uh, a lower-end business, so you're a bit like Harvey Norman um, in the electronics area where you're a discounter, uh, you're a Kmart or a Walmart, and that's where you're positioned. Or are you in the middle market? Are you uh, someone who fits into that middle area, say like Morris Mead and Hairdressing, you know, very much in, in the middle market mm. compared to, say, the loaners in Western Australia who are at the lower end of that market? Or are you like the House of Ernest, which I own, at the very top end of the market, where you're more expensive, you service a particular clientele? In your market, where are you positioned? Is that where you need to be? If you're lower, then you're competing on price. And if you're not, you're going to lose out. If you're in the middle, how do you make yourself stand out? Yeah, you've got to be so, it's such a dangerous area for small business people who, who, who play marketing themselves, and uh, they inadvertently market below their brand so they're positioning themselves as lesser an authority or a presence than they should be because they're using the language that Harvey Norman uses or or those sorts of comparisons of Walmart whereas as you say they should be moving they should be making sure they're in their niche or even pushing up their niche to give themselves the appeal if that is their indeed their their avenue of appeal if that's who they're their customers, their avatar is. Yeah, makes sense. Absolutely, because so so many clients um, are positioned in that middle market, and there's nothing that makes them stand out. So if <clears throat> I'm in the market um, for a car and you're a used car dealer, how do you make yourself stand out in that middle market? There's got to be mm. something you've got to do different. Um, there's a guy here in Perth uh, by the name of John Hughes who over the years has built himself a uh, fantastic niche in that area and he has like a two-page spread in the middle of the, um, the local paper, the West Australian and it's just that whole two pages is full of um, customer uh, recommendations and it's um, over the causeway in Victoria Park is his, is his slogan as to where he's located and um, he, he goes on about how um, you know we're all about customer service and he pumps that on TV, radio, um, any form of media. Now, initially, he couldn't afford to do that, but he chose particular niches to start to advertise. So he started on a local um, Christian radio station because he's a Catholic. So that became his niche, and he built up a market into that area, and then he started to expand outside of that. So those same principles apply. And now if you say, use car dealer, who can you think of in Perth? Everyone would go John Hughes. Over the, over the causeway in Victoria Park. <laughs> over the causeway in Victoria Park. Everyone remembers that slogan. Yeah, I met it's him like, a few years ago and at a breakfast yeah. came to. I was in an entrepreneur's group in, in Perth. and He came along and spoke to us and we spent a bit of time chatting. And uh, the thing he impressed at that stage, I mean, he'll do anything. Mm. He goes out, he talks to people, but... Every day he picks the phone up and rings people who had their car serviced or purchased a car the previous day and says, John Hughes here, how is the service? I mean, that is yes. a bold thing for someone to do, and he always kept himself available if someone rang his switchboard. That, that's extraordinary for a man who, 
at that stage even was the biggest Mitsubishi dealer in Australia, which coming out of Perth, if you, if you think about it, listeners who don't know Perth or John Hughes, that's quite an extraordinary achievement. Um, so that's what, you, that's what you can do by razor marketing. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, breaking the business down in those four areas I spoke about before, yeah. uh, particularly team, you know, if you go to his, um, if you go to his yards, you'll immediately be greeted by somebody, uh, but they're not pushy. They're just, uh, hi, how are you? Can I help you today? No, I'm just looking. No problem. I'm just be over here in the office. If you need me at all, please come and see me. Um, he works with his team to an extraordinary level. He actually still writes his own uh, he checks all the car ads that actually go in. Uh, he has an extraordinary attention to detail. Mm-hmm. I actually interviewed him. Uh, I have a, a two-hour video on uh, YouTube. Uh, so all you have to do is type in my name and John Hughes, and you can watch the interview. Well worth listening to if you have a business in terms of how to run your business. But you're right, um, Brian. You know, Razor Marketing is about deciding what's your niche, how you can make yourself stand out and really start to own that position in the marketplace. You have to have a name and people need to think about you. I know in your own business, um, you, you become you become the expert in terms of franchising. And if you need assistance with franchising, that's where you sit. You think of Brian. So for your clients who are listening right now, if they're not doing that, they need to sit down and work out how can we do that? So every client I work with, we have worked out in some way how to make them stand out. That might be either through the slogan they use, that might be through the message the team delivers, or it might be through um, how they actually deliver the product itself. So uh, I don't know if you know, Brian, a company called Zappos in America. Oh, yes. They're now yeah. owned, yep. So they're now owned by, um, they're now owned by uh, eBay. And they stand out because of their delivery methods. So if you order a pair of shoes on Zappos, they can send you three pairs of shoes. So if you're size nine, they'll send you eight and a half and nine and a half. You, know, you pay for those three pairs, but you can send them back um, free of delivery costs. So they'll pay for delivery for you to return whatever shoes don't fit you to make sure that the shoes you've ordered actually do fit. Brilliant. Now, given that most of the market is um, women, how many of those women do you actually think would turn those shoes, Brian? <laughs> probably, yeah, a bit like some of the guarantee claims that you get. Uh, yeah, probably, Correct. Probably, probably a, exactly. a round Not a lot, number. right? Cause a very round number. They'll, they'll, figure, out, they'll figure out, right, I'm going to return, I'm, I'm going like, to give that pair of shoes to my sister or my mother or a friend of okay. mine. Mm. So it works both ways for Zappos, but just because of that alone, they stood out. They now dominate 10% of the online share for shoe sales in America. That's huge, isn't it? You know, we're talking, because we're in, you know, I'm in the franchise sector, and this is so relevant to our listeners, because when you think about franchising, the thing we say all the time is simplify your business down to the simplest possible formula you can so you can replicate it, and that's what these successful business people do. They get rid of all the trash, all the outside trim, all the unnecessary stuff, Cut it down and focus. And someone who's done that by an unusual process, for example, is Jim Penman for Jim's Mowing. Yes. Um, Jim, yep. I, I don't know that he's got a brand so much, but the brand is just Jim. But I remember when I, I introduced him to Perth and we opened, helped him set up over there, found his state franchisor and his franchisees. He's the most yes. quiet, un, unassuming sort of guy, very introverted with his beard and his floppy hat. And that was yes. him. Not very talkative. 
But his, yep. his background, his story was he came from being a university student, paying for his way through uni, and that's how mm -hmm. he got into franchising. So that's what's taken him through to 36 brands. So that's and, and he's kept them simple. That formula has been applied to 36 businesses. Not bad. Yeah, an extraordinary example. Quite an yeah. amazing success story, mm. isn't it? Yeah. To well, be able to do that. But, but again, you know, there's a great example of how just the, the label of Jim's mowing um, became a catch cry for that whole industry. If mm. you thought of mowing, you would think of Jim's mowing. Yep, exactly right. So that, that's, that's brilliant stuff, and it's really tremendous to get that sort of reinforced and to add layers to what we probably all have heard or read, but really tended to ignore, which is the small business person's sort of habit. So people who haven't achieved this, you know, why is it they, they fall between the gaps? Why is it they, they fail? Look, Brian, again, I think success leaves clues and failure leaves clues as well. So, again, I've had lots of experience with businesses uh, that generally come and try and get help and they've left it too late to come and get that help. You know, put themselves in a cash flow crisis. Mm. And um, I've met a lot of people that have uh, had failed businesses and are looking to restart in a, in a different area. And I always take time to sit down and talk with them about what went, what happened, why did that business fail, what was their take on it. And again, there seems to be basically a formula for failure. Mm -hmm. and, and that is, and, and I'm certainly happy to provide these um, free to any of your clients. They can simply log on to our, our website, Entrepreneur Tribe, or just type in www.createcre and then the number 8.com.au and just sign up to our university. It's free. And on there, there's a couple of formats that show how a business should grow and the steps that uh, a business should take to grow. And what I find, Brian, is that when people don't take those steps, you know, they get stuck as being the technician, as an example. Mm. And they don't bring on the right human resources at the right time. They're so stuck um, in dealing with the day-to-day -day do of the business. Mm. Yeah. And they don't, they don't want to let go to bring somebody else in. Oh, it's too expensive. Yes, that's correct. You are going to have to divert part of your working capital to bring on that new person. You will have to earn less for the next six months. But if it's the right person, that person is going to make you double what you could have made on your own. Yeah. And if we're not taking those steps at the right time, if we're not building a business um, and realizing that marketing is the engine that drives your business, then you have to focus in on team and bring the right human resources in. And you have to get those people excited in the right way about the business so that you don't have to micromanage them. They will simply do what they do because they love what they're involved in. And I remember a great story. I was just uh, recently reading uh, The History of Starbucks that was written by um, Howard Schultz, one of the guys that started the company up, and also the history of um, Amazon um, with Jeff Bezos. And in that um, story, they were talking about this guy who joined the company in those very early days when the company was growing like at 400% per year. And he was so, he was a packer, he was packing stuff up and sending the orders off. And he was so wrapped up in what was going on inside the company that he actually literally slept at the offices. <laughs> and he did that for a period of three months, so much so that he parked his car out in the streets of Seattle and uh, forgot it was there. <laughs> True story, apparently. And the car was actually towed away and sold. <laughs> 
when Zappos open the employment um, page on their website, they open it for an average of 11 minutes. They get 3,000 applications for a job that pays less than $20 an hour. Wow. How do you become the employer of choice? Mm. How do you set up your systems so that people want to join your organization, they're on fire to join your organization, and it's not about the money, it's about what you're doing and yeah. why you're doing it. The yeah. old Simon Sinek thing about your why. Yeah, absolutely. How do, you, how do you set up those systems? So, And then finally on the delivery, like with Zappos, how do you make such a wow in your delivery systems? And then how do you measure that wow? How do you know that your customers are actually receiving the values that you have in your company? So we developed an app that can actually measure that. But if, if you don't have some measurement tool, these are the things, Brian, that makes a business fail. If you're not attending to that small stuff like you were talking about before with John Hughes, mm. those all day-to-day things, that's that's what makes a business fail. If you're not doing that, if you're not set up in your systems to do that, your business will fail. It's only a question of time. Absolutely. It's a sad thing to watch. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. I spoke across you there. That's all right, man. I, I know, you know, with your experience in building up a lot of um, franchises that you would have seen people like Jim's do the right things and they would have paid attention to all those items that we've, we've just been talking about. Jenny Ellis from Boost Juice is another great example of someone who was able to bring those skills to bear. Now, were they born like that? No, definitely not. You know, Janine, um, Jim, obviously with yourself, they all went and got great advice from very experienced people. They saved themselves 20, 30 years of learning to gain those skills. So that's the other key thing that I'd like to offer as a takeaway. If you haven't got a mentor or someone um, who can give you outside advice, advice on what you're doing, get one today. Go and find one. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's interesting. Uh, uh, when we think about Janine Ellis, who's, who's, who puts her success down to systems, and employing the right people. Pretty simple. Um, yeah. how, how do they build up those teams of people with that enthusiasm who will spend three weeks sleeping in the office? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, goodness me, how many, I wonder how many people on the line here listening to this have got staff that would do that. That might sound like an exaggeration, but, you know, I, I went over and I visited, um, I went to Silicon Valley, attended something there called Singularity University, got to meet some great people. Uh, went and visited um, Google and, and looked right through the campus, understood how they did what they did. And Larry Page and Sergi, you know, again, when they, they first started out, they only had a team of 10. They now have a team of 30,000 people worldwide. Mm. And they still go to that central platform in the main building that, um, that still operates. And every Friday they give a talk to the team. Yeah. And that's broadcast worldwide. So they still do those basic type practices that you were talking about, you know, like with John. And they'll still do those things. So first of all, they created a why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why, why do we have a search engine? Is it just about beating Yahoo or Lycos or those other early search engines that they absolutely killed? And why did those companies fail? Because mm-hmm. those companies didn't have a why. So Google's why is do no evil. Now, that's a pretty big, broad statement. Mm. But they use that filter now to make all sorts of decisions. 
here's what we're about to do. Does that harm someone in some way? Is that going to make um, somebody, um, is it going to create some harm for them? Now, people might criticise them for that, but in their own way they use that. We're on a bigger mission here. We want to improve people's lives through technology. Is apples. Um, companies like Zappos, we want to deliver happiness. And they take that to an extreme. They'll take that down to creating humour with that. They'll take that down to, when you think about it, Brian, um, if a company is, is about delivering shoes to predominantly a um, female customer base, there is no better way than to deliver happiness, right? Absolutely. So that totally works for them. But they'll do crazy things like, you know, they, they put it out amongst their client base and said, you want us to deliver anything? We'll deliver anything. So some guy uh, in San Diego rang up and said, great, deliver me a pizza. So the um, customer service rep in the call centre thought, okay, I'll play along with this. He actually found out where the nearest pizza place was, rang up and ordered a pizza at Zappos' expense sure. and had it delivered. Now, that went viral on social media, so it really worked for the company. But my point here is you can't make uh, a customer service rep do something like They've got to be in alignment with the values the company is built around. So, uh, you know, I walk into a company and if they've got a set of um, values, I'll look at, you know, the plaque and reception and then I'll look around at the team and I'll go, eh, you know, it doesn't match. <laughs> that's not that's not being lived here. Yeah. So one of the great skills uh, that we have is we have a 10-step format and again, we've got that in our university website under team. So if your clients go there, just download that. It's a 10 step formula. And one of the key steps in that is to employ in alignment with your values. Employ culturally first, school based second. Yeah. So when Janine talks about that, that's exactly what she did. When John Hughes, um, doesn't even know those principles, but intuitively, naturally, he does that. Hmm. Um, Google, do it. They're so they don't even look at the SAT scores now. They take it as a guide. They ask specific questions, but they're really all about employing on culture. Zappo does the same thing. So it's so important to bring these skills into your business, where you're giving your team um, the values. They're in alignment with those values, but you're also as a as an owner and employer, you're delivering two main things. See, Brian, when you think about it, the very first team that we ever operated in, where we learned the principles of group dynamics, was our family. That's the very first place we operated inside a team. True. And we might like to think, we might like to think that there were two leaders in that team, but really, when you really think about it, either dad wore the pants or mom wore the pants, right? Yeah. There was one Someone, leader. Yeah, someone's got to steer the boat. Someone's got to steer the boat. So we learned those principles there, and what a family delivers is two things. It delivers love, and it delivers um, appreciation or acknowledgement. Now, every single survey worldwide, it doesn't matter the country, the culture, or the type of industry that I've ever read, money does not rank number one in terms of what people want inside a job. What ranks number one and number two is what people would call being acknowledged or appreciated, hence the form of love. Um, and a pat on the back, a sense of um, I'm part of something, I've done a great job, congratulations. They're the two things that the people are looking for. And if you systemize that inside the business, 
if it's systemized, not just randomly happening, mm-hmm. systemized, then what um, your team and your culture um, get out of that is an alignment with you. They'll back you. They'll work until midnight um, without you asking because something has to be completed. So it's yeah, so it's creating that connection, uh, which which Google do from their weekly meetings, and other people use various other tools and devices and 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 uh, behaviours to do it right. Absolutely, spot on. You did it in one. You got it. Got it in one. Excellent. You know, you mentioned about the connection, and someone that I know very well is John O'Brien, who's the CEO of uh, of Poolworks. Now, Poolworks, mm-hmm. my, my people have been to my workshops, and so I use him as a case study. Um, but he maintains a tremendous connection with his team. He's got 65 retail outlets around the country and seven, a, a, an average of seven franchise vans working beneath each one. He uses a layered structure. Wow. But he shakes the hands of every one of those people every year. He'll disappear to Western Australia for a week, and he's going around shaking people's hands in Perth and Albany and Broome and Kalgoorlie. And that's one of his absolute rigid, not-to-be-broken rules. Are you still there, Brett? Um, yeah, I lost yeah. you for okay. a second there, yeah. Brian. Okay. All right. You know, that's fine. I, I just mentioned about the, um, the, 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 the connection there with, with John O'Brien. So, now please carry on. So, Well, look, I think, you know, Branson's another great example of that. If you've ever met um, Richard, he's actually um, probably similar to Jim from Jim's mum. He's actually quite a shy guy personally, right? Mm. But he goes out of his way that if he ever is visiting, um, you know, a a virgin um, branch or he's going to the, uh, the maintenance sheds, he will make a point of going around and chatting to as many people as he can possibly get to because he's always looking for that, that connection with people. So as, you grow business, so as you grow your business, these are the things you mustn't forget because th- this is actually when I look at business failures so often in franchising yes. where, where there are cases, they've built the business, they become a little bit arrogant, they be, yes. you, hubris sets in, what I call the Paul Keating factor, they lose the connection yes. and they wonder why they start getting grumbles and so forth and uh, and really the time is they should either brush up, employ someone to run the business or they should move on. Because uh, yeah, yeah, and, and that's an interesting mm. that's an interesting point, Brian. Definitely, because you know what what I've seen is people also. You were talking before about you know why a business fails, but I think one of the things most entrepreneurs also want inside a business is freedom. So mm. as I discussed before, there are steps that a leader needs to go through to build up a, a team and to start to free himself from the day to day worries and concerns. Of the business, and if you're not doing that, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to you, you're going to be the block to the business growing. You're going to put a chokehold on the business, and you're also going to create yourself to be overworked and stressed out. Yeah, absolutely. And Which happens after yeah, all. Absolutely, and if you want freedom out of the business, so you can really start to operate it, not just from a um, an executive point of view, where you've got an executive team now running the business and you direct the executive team. If you really want to operate it from a board level, where you're not involved in the day-to-day function of the business, you've got to learn how to create that team structure and get yourself out of the business. Because the amazing thing you know happens, I think, inside any business that I've seen repetitively, time 
and time again, whether it's a franchise business or it's a business like Starbucks, which is totally um, company-owned, is that as you start to delegate and give people responsibility, an amazing thing happens. They actually step up mm. and take that full responsibility. They start to operate the business as though it is their own. Mm. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And you, that's what you see in successful businesses. It's, 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 it is in inverted commas ownership, isn't it? So if I was to put you on the spot and say, you mentioned every business owner needs a mentor, um, but mm. what would you say is the one thing everyone should do in their business? Is there a single thing that they that they should do from the point of view of moving down this pathway, ensuring their success and so forth? Look, I think I'm going to be repetitive on answering that question, Brian. It's, it's understanding at each stage of the business what needs to happen next. If I, I haven't met Janine personally, but I've certainly poured over her, her book and I've certainly looked at how the businesses are operated. And, you know, her book is a great example of how she was able to scale up a business. You know, phenomenally, um, 50 new stores in the second year of operation. Hmm. In incredible. How do you marshal the human resources? How do you marshal the systems to be able to um, open something like that and, and do it um, very, very successfully? So... There are things you need to do at each stage, and if you're not doing those things, that's the one thing that you must be doing is understanding as your business grows, what should I be doing at each and every stage. So, you know, I've seen people have phenomenal growth in the first and second year of business, but they simply won't let go. They're micromanaging the business. They're trying to run around to wear all hats. They're doing marketing. They're doing team. They're overseeing delivery. They're, um, you know, trying to do the accounts. They're not outsourcing things. And suddenly the business starts to lose its growth. Yeah. Yeah, that's you, can't, you just can't be all things to all people. So that's that's a very yeah, valid yeah. point. Now, there was a word that hit me between the eyes there. I, I just love it. To me, it's so powerful, that word freedom. Um, in a, yes. it, to me, it just conjures up something. And a, in business, gee, it's, it's not easy um, to, to, to achieve that. It's something that... I, I feel that many people, and I've been through this so often myself with my number of businesses, is you just don't feel you can actually m move away, have the time to, whether it's being there and working on it, whether it's being outside working on it, whether it's taking a break. So is it really possible to get freedom if you're running a business? Look, um, Brian, I think one of the things that, that I do do well, um, and there's certainly a lot that I don't, one thing I do do well is create freedom for myself. So I've got um, you know two main businesses, one being Entrepreneur Tribe, also in the House of Ernest, which we're in the, in the midst of franchising right now. And um, we're also just starting up the app that I mentioned, which is called Culture Hack, and it's an app that allows people to monitor um, the engagement of the team and also the engagement of the customers with the values. So, you know, I, I've got a lot on, and I also mm. do property developments as well. So how do I create freedom? I create an executive team structure inside each of those businesses where I don't need to be hands-on. Um, that allows me to go away. Um, like I've just been in Bali for two weeks. Uh, I was away in Singapore for three days. I'm back. Um, I don't work every Wednesday. Um, I'm here at home today, you know, talking with you. How do I create that freedom? I, I, first of all, I make the choice. So, so many people... Uh, are not so many business owners are not prepared to let go of the control of the business and trust other people. 
And what you learn as you start to trust them is you pick trustworthy people. And you set up systems. You use the old, old hotel thing. Um, you have someone do something and you have someone else check it. And there's a checklist and they tick that off and they send you that checklist at the end of every week or in, end of every month and you know the job has been done. You then survey your customers to make sure that you know that they are receiving the impact of whatever that task is. And you read that through your financial things, not just your profit and loss, but you have systems set up to monitor your numbers, your KPIs, your key performance indicators. And you can sit back and you can be in Bali, um, grab the laptop um, before you go out to dinner that night, where's the monthly report, there it is, is it all checked off, yes it is, there's a couple of things that need uh, some emails or some phone calls, you do those and your business is running well. Brett, that's, that's how you set up for it. Yeah, that, that's brilliant. I've, I've got three pages of notes here. Um, if uh, listeners haven't, then look out for the transcription, which will be available comparatively soon, if not already by the time you listen to this. But I'd like to just summarize a couple of points I've, I've really picked up on here. And when it comes down to the marketing and having that razor marketing, it comes down to really deciding and defining what your niche is, what, what gives you the edge is, is a key element. And then, then, then there's an aspect of making sure you focus on those, those, those key areas that, uh, that Brett gave us from the point of view of the, the key aspects of business performance. Um, and, and in order to do that, you've got to leverage yourself out. So it does mean, you know, becoming, uh, be, becoming someone that, the delegates and the concept there of employing people uh, the Janine Alice way with because of their culture, because you you employ people with culture and you train them the skills. If they've got the energy and the enthusiasm and the commitment, in, in many, many jobs and tasks and roles you can train them. So that's important. Uh, I think Brett reinforced that brilliantly. And um, the, the aspect of having a mentor, um, it's something that uh, any it's it's far more common in Austra in in the US than it is here. But even in Australia, most many business people these days have mentors, and particularly people with more significant businesses. You just need someone to look at you with fresh eyes who will be quite objective. So that's an important thing. And uh, at the end of the day, there's a key there. It's all it's all about culture, and it's all about getting that freedom. And really, it's a choice, isn't it? It's a simple choice situation. Do you want to have that? Or don't you? Then, in which case, you've got to take the steps and put the structures in, like you've achieved, managed to achieve with your your suite of businesses you've got. Um, yeah, absolutely. Brian. I think all those things are so so important. You summarised it really well there. Look, just just would you like to make any closing sort of comment or anything that you feel we've we've overlooked there um, before we we wrap up this excellent session? Mate, mate, I think we've covered you know most most of the things. Um, we probably didn't talk enough about the numbers and how you measure that, but maybe uh, that could be you know for for another session where we could cover uh, how you actually measure key performance indicators and what what types of things you really should be measuring for. You know how how do you measure customer retention? How do you measure reuse? Um, how do you measure stock turnover? Um, in, in particular types of businesses. Those, those things are critical as well. So we probably didn't have enough time to cover all that. But um, I, I think, you know, in the areas you wanted to cover today, I, I think we've done a pretty good job, Brian. Right. I've made, I've made a note there that we'll, uh, we'll have another session looking at measurement and KPIs and how you make that effective in your business because that's really the next step beyond today. Um, well, look, thanks very much, Brett. I really appreciate you sacrificing your time. 
you're someone who, who, has, who has very valuable time, and uh, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to access that. I'd, uh, oh, I'm always happy to chat to you, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I hope that, uh, that, that those of you uh, listening have uh, found your questions answered. If you've got any questions, you can contact Brett, and we'll get him to, to uh, uh, repeat his contact details shortly, or you can contact me, and I always pass them on. So always happy to have questions asked, and it doesn't matter when. You may be listening to this in 2014 or 2015 or 2016. It doesn't matter. Time doesn't matter. Get back to us. We'd love to help you. So, look, in, in wrapping up, I, I've, I've gained some little gems there today, invaluable knowledge. I, I hope everyone that's listening has as well, um, and always happy to hear your feedback and so forth. So what, what I'd ask you to do, uh, Brett, in closing before we before we leave is can you just give us those contact details your website what's the best way of people contacting you if they want to just just touch base one or the other yeah absolutely Ron, and thanks for that so it's www.cre so charlie romeo echo uh, the numeral eight the number eight dot com dot au and uh, that information we talked about before is freely available on our website by just going into the university tribe uh, section of the website, and if they want to contact me, um, please just email me at ceo uh, at create.com.au. Okay, brilliant. I'll, I'll I'll write that information on the uh, on the on the uh, on the documentation, so it's there for people to transcribe from. So, I'd like to to wrap up. Thank everybody. I hope I hope you've enjoyed the session. I hope it inspires you to get. The razor out and get some, get an edge to your marketing. So sharpness is what it's all about, and uh, get your get your niche truly carved. So thank you very much, everybody. Thanks again, Brett. Really appreciate your time. It's been tremendous to have a chat. I really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll leave it for the, leave it now. And uh, goodbye, everybody. We'll speak to you on our next franchise radio show. to the franchise